Well, greetings to everyone in Jesus' name. God is good. He's a merciful God. I uh, don't plan to speak directly on mercy, but there may be an aspect of that that I might point to in the message. But I was also touched by that thought this morning. And particularly as we were singing one of these songs, Joy to the World, I believe it was, has a line in it that goes like this. And it struck me. Actually, it was, uh, Oh, come all ye faithful, not joy to the world. I was close, but not quite. Anyway, uh, one of the lines go like this, true God of true gods, must be a new line, I don't know if John put this in or if it's always been there and I didn't notice it before, but the second line goes, true God of true gods, true God of true God, light of light eternal, our lowly nature hath not abhorred. And so God of all gods looked down in his mercy and did not abhor our lowly nature. You know, and look at us as despicable, irreconcilable, and just trashed us. But in his mercy, he devised a plan. And I meditated on that. True God of true God, light of light eternal, our lowly nature, he hath not abhorred. And I don't know if we'll ever fully, well I know we won't, fully grasp and, and, uh, and realize the full mercy of God till we stand before him and worship him and thank him and see how far-reaching his mercy really was. I, I believe that even though I had, I had great joy bringing my mind in when Earl was talking about how God had mercy on us sinners and trying to squeeze the utmost out of that. You know you got to do that, especially if you're going to preach. Or, your mind's going so many ways and so many distractions, but to think that I am sitting here this morning by the mercy of God. And you got to put an effort into it to, to really get out of it what, what, what we can. So that's my short testimony of, of mercy and might have to have a little more to say on it later. <clears throat> if you can rise again, let's do so and stand before the Lord in reverence for prayer. <clears throat> oh God, we, we thank you for your mercy this morning. We do not deserve it, Lord. We know that at least in our minds and realize it to some degree in our hearts, Lord, that we do not deserve the mercy that you have shown toward us, Lord. Help us to see and realize it more and more, Lord, and that out of that, we would love and serve you more as well. God, thank you for being God this morning and giving us your word. 
We don't have to just uh, shoot in the dark to try and figure out what is right and what your will is for us, Lord, but you have given us a book, O God, and in it have written down much, given us your will and your thoughts and and your plan and and design for us, Lord, and and God, even though sometimes it's a little hard to, to figure it all out, Lord, but it's there. And it's for us to dig and search and pray and 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 wait on you, Lord, that that day star might arise in our heart. And as the day dawns and becomes brighter and brighter in the physical, Lord, I pray that would happen in the spiritual as well. That that day, that day star would arise in our hearts and we would see more clearer every day the kingdom of God and the things of God. Oh, Father, how we need that arising of the light. I need it, Lord. And I know my brothers and sisters here need it. They need it, Lord. Without you, God, we surely and truly can do nothing. So, Lord, illuminate our eyes, the eyes of our heart this morning, Lord, and help us to see yet a little deeper into the things of God and a little more clearer by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, I need you this morning. Without you, I can do nothing, Lord. You know my trembling heart, O God. You know my fearful heart, Lord. I pray you take it away. Lord, and give me peace. Most of all, give me the fear of the Lord this morning and being able to teach this word to the congregation here this morning. Oh God, I pray, help me, dear Lord, to stay out of the way and allow you, Lord, to instruct us, Father, in these important matters this morning. God, they're important. They're very important, Lord. It's your will, it's your word, and we need it, Lord. Pray that you'd help us to grasp it this morning. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to continue with with, uh, the messages with the message on the home this morning. Uh, primarily focus on what part the woman, uh, how can I say it? How the woman helps in this matter of, of a, a godly home and her roles perhaps a little bit, but primarily how God brought Adam a help meet and just ponder that for a moment, for a little while this morning. In the last message, we looked at the man's responsibilities in taking charge, taking lead, uh, talk to the fathers that it's primarily their responsibility in... in uh, in leading out in the home and and that we are to be trustworthy if you remember that as a father 
God commanded these little children to obey us. And if they are commanded to obey us, then it's a great and grave responsibility for us to be trustworthy. Do you remember that? And the great damage that fathers that are not trustworthy and eventually offend their little ones, what great damage that does. And that fathers are to take personal responsibility before the Lord. And, uh, and that these children that God brought into our homes are also ours, not just moms, but they are also my children and your children. And we talked a little bit about how fathers must lean on the Lord because none of us is able uh, who is sufficient for these things. We look at all these little children on men's laps and women's laps this morning. Gifts of God. Inheritance from the Lord. They don't come perfect. They don't come already molded and shaped the way they should turn out. But God gives that responsibility to you and me. What a grave responsibility. And that we talked a little bit about how fathers we should be uh, seeing ahead, not just looking at the present, but considering the potential that these children have for good or for bad. And we also talked about fathers are to, even though this is often not an easy job and can be very, very uh, challenging at times, but how we should find the grace of God and come to the place where we can enjoy being a father. I think, I think that is something that is very contagious in our world today. You know the attitude that many men in our world have and many, many women too. They can only handle about two of them the most. And they'll tell you that. If you tell them you have seven or nine or ten, they can't believe it. Well, we have two and that, that's enough. That's sad. That's sad. For a father and a mother to be able to say, well, yeah, we know that it's hard, and, but we wouldn't want to give up any of our ten. That's a testimony. And so we were challenged by the word of God to, be, to make our calling an enjoyable one. <clears throat> and maybe more specifically now this morning, we want to look at bringing in the woman's part that she brings into into uh, the home and hopefully the Lord will give us a few things to take home and be encouraged by. <clears throat> uh, you can turn in your Bibles to some words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, kind of as a springboard. Luke chapter 6, this is not directly to parenting, but I believe it's applicable where Jesus gives a little parable. We know this story very well, and we'll just take part of it. We'll just take the more positive part. It's the end of the story, end of the chapter, I'm sorry, of Luke 6, where Jesus defines a wise and a foolish man. 
And we sing that little song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. But Jesus is saying this story in, in response to, a, uh, or in answer maybe to, or he's, he, he's giving this illustration after he said, in verse 47, I think it's good for us to look at these words, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. And I know if I'd raise, if I'd ask for a raise of hands, who wants to have a house that stands? I would hope every hand of every father and every mother would go up. I would believe they probably would. None of us want to end up like the other man who the ruin of his house was great. That is a very sad commentary there. But I think it's good for us to just consider a few of these words here in this part of the parable that Jesus said and apply it to us building our homes. Moms and dads, directly to us, he says that, well, first of all, we should take the sayings and teachings of Jesus serious and be more than just hearers. We know that but doers of them. But Jesus goes on in his illustration and he says, I will liken this to a man which heard and did and it was not an easy task. And I'm here to tell us this morning that building families for God, homes for God is not an easy task. Amen. It is not an easy task. So we might as well settle that right from the beginning. The world doesn't look at the depths of this and sadly, apparently, a lot of the church because that's why you see so many ruined households. Over half, I believe it is. At least round half households enter, uh, end up in ruin. Well, we have a little bit of insight here, at least to us, for us to consider when we decide we want to get married and have a family and, and, and have a home. First of all, we, we realize this man had some material to build a house with. You don't build a house without any material. He had some substance. He had, he had sought, thought through some things. And not only did he have material, but he digged deep. He realized the work that was before him to build this house in order to build one that, that stands. He digged deep. He wasn't just a surface, a Christian, but he digged deep. In other words, he counted the cost. And then again, we see he had material. He laid the foundation. He dug down to bedrock. He hit the rock, and then he had material to lay a right foundation. And I like for the thrust of the message this morning to be 
the, the sisters, the, the women and the men working together in laying a good foundation for our homes. That's the thrust of the message this morning. And then he goes on to say, when the flood comes, not if the flood comes. It's just a matter when. Ask any of the fathers in here that have children 12 years old or older and ask them if they've had ever had anything that tried their home, that tested the foundations. And they will tell you most surely they did, if they're honest. Yes, they were tried. Satan hates strong homes. And he attacks at the very core. He attacks at mom and dad. He attacks at the things that should bring stability to the house because he knows if he can get that, he can most likely get it to crumble. So not, when, not if the floods come, when the floods come. And sometimes they're very, very severe. You, sometimes we wonder, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? I'm not kidding. This is vehement. This is almost more than I can handle. Not everything is going okay. Whatever I do seems to be the wrong thing. And yeah, the list could go on and on and on. You may say, well, that sounds pretty gloomy. Well, yes, but I think it's also reality, if you're honest, this morning. And we want our house to stand, and we have this promise here that if we build upon the rock, do what Jesus says, dig deep, pay the price, sweat and toil, we can make it. We can make it. Because it says the stream, the vehement stream, could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. If I were to put my points in order, I guess not necessarily in order of importance, but maybe just in order so you can, so it makes more sense here this morning. The first point I would like to, to make here is Maximizing our effectiveness as parents by learning to be teammates. Maximizing our effectiveness as parents by learning to be teammates. Now we all know what it is probably to be on a team and play a game of some kind. And you can be ever so good in your part. But if you haven't learned to play together with your teammates, you are not mostly effective. We all know that. We all know that. You can be a super good shortstop in catching that, stopping that fast-moving, bouncing, teeth-breaking ball if you don't get it right, you know, hits you in the mouth. 
but you can get that every time. But if, if you don't throw it at the right place, it doesn't do you any good. You know, it is all in working together. And I know we know that this morning, and so hopefully we can just work at maximizing what we do know. Because we need to be effective in this our day. And a long, long, long time ago, and I want you to turn there, go back to Genesis with me briefly. Genesis chapter 2, God said something that I think it's very important for us to see with our eyes. This is not just some good ideas that I'm throwing out here or some good thoughts, but I believe this is the deep and true sayings of God that if we can grasp, we can become more effective in our parenting as teammates. But in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, now notice this. I believe it's important to notice this, that we might grasp the, the, the importance of it. God knew this before Adam knew it, that it was not good that man is alone. At least in the sequence of Scripture, it appears that God knew this before Adam did, that it was not good. God knew it before he presented it to Adam, that it was not good that man was alone. In verse 18 of chapter 2, And the Lord God said, after he had given Adam some instructions there to dress and keep the Garden of Eden and so on, and which tree he, he should not eat of, and of all the others that he can eat of, he said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me. I will make him and help meet for him. And then we have Adam naming all the animals, and it seems like in verse 21, it dawns on Adam that there's something missing. And Adam, verse 20, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took the rib. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And, and then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And so on. But a long, long time ago God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. That word alone means separation, to be separated. And then Jesus, and we have it also here, I believe, in, in yeah, we have it also here in, in Genesis, but then Jesus says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so they are no more twain but one flesh. It is not good that a man should be separated. I will make him and help suitable or meet for him. So we see that man could not do it alone. And I guess it's by the mercies of God that man brought us help me. Because we couldn't have done it alone. 
He brought us an helpmeet. We could have not done it alone. And he brought us one that was suitable. We'll look more at those specific words a little later. Moving on a bit here. Proverbs asks the searching question, who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Who can find a virtuous, meaning a, a, a woman of strength and power? For her price is far above rubies. Now, I want us to consider this question, and I, I ask us all to think, is this question to a young man that is seeking a wife? Who can find her? There's a young man that's looking for a wife, and it's, it's a question to him, who can find a virtuous woman for her prizes far above rubies? In other words, is, it's hard to find a, a virtuous woman. Do you think you can find one? Or is it a call to the sisters to be that kind of woman? These kind of women, I believe, are rare. Because rubies are rare, and that's what makes them valuable. And these kind of women are not cheap to a young man that is looking for one because they're rare, and they're of a great price. So I believe the question is for both young men that are looking for a virtuous woman and for the women that are here to be this kind of woman. I believe it's for both. If you're here and you want a godly uh, a wife, young, young men, don't plan on getting her for a cheap price. You're going to have to be one of those men that Jesus talked about that was willing to pay a dear price because they are rare. And you probably won't find one without paying a price for her. And sisters, you probably won't be one of these women without how can I say? Are you willing to be one of these rare ones that aren't the normal run of the mill, if you know what I mean by that? You are, you are seeking to be a virtuous woman that, uh, that will do your man well as this woman did. So I think it's for both. I think it's for the, for, the, for the young men to be challenged and I think it's for the women to be challenged, that question. I'd like to read a comment from David Burkholder's book here. And he says, Being married to a good mother is not as simple as getting married to a good woman, though that is an excellent start. A mother develops over the years, and that development takes time and effort. She becomes what God and others encourage her to be. Since you, her husband, are the closest person to your wife, you have much to do with what she becomes. Think about that. 
in many ways she will become what you are trying to be. So if we're trying to be whatever we're trying to be, she will more or less become that. So the best way to help her be a good mother is to be a good husband. Pretty basic. So we're going to go be kind of jumping back and forth here between the men and the women here, the fathers and the mothers. Okay, maximizing, how did I say that? Maximizing our effectiveness as parents by learning to be teammates, learning to work together. My second point is called created to be his helper to the sisters here. God said, as we read, I will make and help, that means aid, a counterpart of himself, one formed from him and a perfect resemblance of his person, an assistant, an aid. Why? In accomplishing God's plan for the family. Your husband needs you. Husbands, we need our wives. And I'm sure we know that. Wives, it says here in Proverbs 14.1, Every wise woman buildeth up her house, buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Of course, the Proverbs 31 woman, she, it says of her, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Created to be his helper. To the men, and the Lord God brought her unto the man. He said, I will make and help meet or suitable for him. Now, brothers, let me ask you a question. I wonder if we realize, perhaps we, if you're like me, we thought that we found our wife. You know, we saw her one day and, ah, I want her. And I went after her. But that's not exactly what the scriptures say. Not for Adam. God found her for Adam. God made her for Adam. So instead of us thinking that I found my wife, I found the love of my life, I want us to think for a moment the fact that God found her for us. God found that woman in your life for you and for me. And I believe this morning that I'm preaching for the most part to men and women, God-fearing men and women, that at least to a measure when we were pursuing marriage, we were praying and, and, and wanting God's will. I would probably believe that for most of us here. And so we had God in the picture, of course, we didn't understand everything, and we still don't, but, but we had God in the picture. And I believe it was a God thing, <clears throat> as it was for Adam. And that 
Though one day our eyes were opened and we saw this woman that we eventually got married to, what if it was God bringing her to us? And what if this was our Eve? And what if it was the suitable helpmeet for my life? That's the point I'm driving at. Okay? Because as time goes on, sometimes we wonder, maybe, when things get difficult and stormy, well, was there a mistake? Are we really meant for each other? You know, we have a hard time getting along. We think these thoughts, in case you hadn't thought them before, you know, and, but perhaps God brought her to us because she was, the, she was what I needed. She is what we needed. She is the better half, as some people put it. She is God's design for me. Am I willing to go that far and accept that? She is the suitable one for me. God brought this woman into my life to maximize my effectiveness in fulfilling God's will for my home. I want us to think about that. I think that'll make a difference as to how we view our wives. And maybe if we had difficulties in, in uh, working together and being good teammates, maybe this will help to say, okay, God brought us together Let's figure out the best way that we can, we can pass the ball together to, to get the point, to make the point, to, to, uh, to meet the need. Let's figure out how we can maximize our effectiveness for our children as parents. Let's talk a little bit about working together. Defining the defined roles of parenting. Point number four, working together. Defining the defined roles of parenting. Very basic, dad is to be the leader. That's a God thing. Dad is to be the leader in the home. If he's not, there's problems. When dad is not the leader... God said, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and, it is the, and he is the savior of the body. So dad is the one that should be in charge. It's a God-given responsibility upon the dad. Much could be said on this point. I hope you understand. I'm not talking about being a dictator, being mean and and all of that kind of thing, but he is called to be the leader, to go before. He was there first, he had a need, and God said, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And here she is. She, she's going to fit the bill, meet the need. And my second point is, mom is to be the supporter and the follower. 
Titus 2 says that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And we know the headship order there very well, but this is rock-bottom foundational material. If this is out of Kelder, the house is a bit shaky. And we know how it goes. If dad tends not to be the leader, well, then someone needs to lead. And so the woman tends to maybe lead more, and then the, then the man falls back. And you know, you have that, that, uh, that cycle that goes on. And it's not good. It is not good. But we need to learn to work together. It was a God thing in the beginning, and I believe we have God's blessing on the union when we do it his way, like Jesus said. If we do, if we hear and do. In this, still under this point here, working together, point number three, it should be a non-competing, but rather complementing role between mom and dad. And oh, if we can just really get a hold of this one. A non-competing. You know, you need these huddles. Teams have their huddles. Work crews have their huddles where they sit on their toolboxes or sit in their, on their benches and say, okay, how can we best get this job done? How can we best play this game? Where are the weak spots? Where, we need, where, where do we need to adjust things? Uh, where do we need a pinch hitter? Where do we need a, who do we need to put somewhere else in the, in the work project? And figure it out. And, and allow this whole thing to complement each other instead of competing and just taking over. And the man falling back. And the woman going forward. And there's a competition and things are out of calendar. And the children feel that. So you need to have a huddle. And sit together. Say, okay, I want to lead. <clears throat> Excuse me. As a father, I want to lead. I don't always know how to lead. I need you to help me how to lead. And I hope the woman is saying, I don't want to lead, but I want to motivate you to lead in this whole thing of parenting and building our home and figure it out. You know, the woman is not second rate. I don't believe that. I believe they're equal. Value in the eyes of God, and, and, uh, and she is given as a compliment to the man. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 7 gives us some insight. Let's turn there for a few details, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. We have a few specific here on this point. I like this. It, there's more in here that talks about the relationship, but we'll just go to verse 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So how does a man give honor to his wife? 
But one of the things that we are told here, we're, we're reminded of, is that she's a weaker vessel. And like I said, does, that does not mean weaker or less valuable. But I thought of it this way. Let's take two containers. Let's take a plastic five-gallon bucket and a, and a glass pitcher that we would set on our tables to pour water out of. Now, obviously, the five-gallon bucket is a lot more tough. It can, it can hold more water. You can use it for a lot more things. You can throw it. You can, you can use it for so many different things, this old, tough five-gallon bucket. But we don't usually set them on the table to pour water out of into our cups, do we? Of course not. We set the nice, clean glass picture up there that we all enjoy seeing and it holds water and it serves a wonderful purpose it's a compliment i guess you could use a five gallon bucket if you wouldn't have anything more and you may use the picture for something for more rugged things but you might not have it very long it'll probably break because it's not what it was designed for very basic so physically she may be weaker more delicate and it's very, very important that we see that and give honor to her. Not degrade, but lift her up. Make her place beautiful where, where she meets the need. Give honor. Number two, she also hears from the Lord. Being heirs together of the grace of God. This is beautiful. Your wife hears from God. And she can compliment, she can contribute to tough situations that, or decisions that we're trying to make. Sit down and have a little huddle with your wife and say, what should we do here? What do you think, men? What should we do with this problem in so-and-so's life, one of our children? They might have some really, really good insight if we want to hear. You know, our, our wives are more on the same level with our children because they are to honor and obey us and so they can feel for the children and when there's problems between dad and the children a very wise counselor to ask is mom and be ready have your guards down and be ready to take what she says and if she feels that you're not going to react and shoot back and and bring things up in her life where she has a problem you might get the real answer that you need if you're really, really willing to see this problem. Because remember, she is the one that God gave you for your children. She is a suitable one. I'm not saying that we should never go outside the marriage union. Sure, we should for counsel. That's probably good. But it's a good place to start. It's probably the best place to start. Is to sit down and give her free Rain to say what she thinks. Well, I think you were kind of hard on Johnny. I think you need to apologize, she might say. Things like that. Or the other day when, when you said that to me, that hurt. I tell you, that is laying a foundation for your children and for your home that'll get stronger and stronger and stronger and stand against the storms. And another very important way to give honor to our wives in this passage here is to keep our relationship up to date. 
If it's not, our prayers will be hindered, it says. If there's unresolved issues, we can count on it that there'll be a hindrance in our prayers. And there really is no reason why we can't get to the bottom of this with the, close, with the person that is closest to us in our life. Shouldn't be any reason why with grace and humility we can't get to the bottom of it and find out what the hindrance is. Because Jesus, certainly this applies here what Jesus said in Matthew 18. There he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And what better place to start is, it, is there than in, in a couple, in a married couple? You have two, and Jesus in the midst of them. And you pray, and you have an open heaven, and you have a need, you have a problem in your family. Surely, surely that need can be met. Surely it can. And these, these things go the other way too. Sometimes women say things that hurts the man and there needs to be a safe place to say that and, or, or issues that, that you need to face up with and frankly talk about these things. <clears throat> but bottom line, this is not a competition who's going to come out on top. The bottom line is we want to win the game. We want to win the game. We want a house that stands in the end. We want children that follow the Lord. We want a family that is pleasing to God. That's winning the game. It's not who's necessarily who's right or wrong. Yes, it is, but the way we go about to resolve it really, really, really matters. And I don't feel very prepared on this point, but maybe I'll just say a little bit about it. Our time's about up. Much could and should be said on communication between the two. Learning to communicate has so very, very much to do to make this whole thing work. Our ability to be effective parents is helped or hindered by our communication skills. And I might have touched a little bit about that already, but we must learn to communicate. To be on the same team, to huddle together and say, what's wrong? What's wrong? We aren't winning the game here. Something is wrong. Oneness with our spouse is so much far more than physical. It involves a oneness of soul and oneness of spirit. Now that is deep when you aim for that. Oneness of soul and oneness of spirit. You don't start out that way necessarily. It's a good start. Two Christians coming together, but you go from there and you learn to know your spouse like no one else in the world. Think about it, it's only natural when two people always eat together, they share finances together, they enjoy the same children together, they go to the same places together, they go to the same church together, they pray together. After a while, they start thinking alike. They do, to an extent. They grow together, 
and growing together, not only this way, you know, as you, as you grow, you're together for a couple years, you grow this way. You grow upward. Because you gain experience. You have one or two or three children, and you grow together. You learn to handle situations. But you, we also want to grow together this way. More and more with time. Growing together. I was visiting with a neighbor one day here and he said they were divorced and he was giving me his life story and he said, yeah, I had many problems. He kind of seemed to take most of the blame. But he said, we just grew apart. We grew apart. And I think that is due a lot to a, a break-off, a lack or a break-off of communication, right communication. Sadly, it's possible for two people to be living in the same place and not united in spirit. We all know that as well. And that's not what we want to see happen. That's not, that does not build <clears throat> a solid home. We can look around and see that all over the place. Communication, what is communication? It is transmitting a message, but it, is, it isn't complete until it is received at the other end. Okay? We can fire many messages. We can, communication is not a problem today, at least in its first step. But how is it received? We know we're communicating when we're connecting. When the message is gotten. You know these phones nowadays, you can see when they got the message. They got it. They got it. Well, how would it be if in our marriages we could say, she got it. He got it. I can tell. I can tell. He got it. Then we're going places. That's when communication is, is completed. When it's received and understood. And that's not easy. That takes trial and error. We, 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 we learn by trial and error many times and what works and what doesn't work. As you well know, but it's maybe good to be reminded, communication is partly verbal and partly nonverbal. We know that. Someone said that a father, an average father, in one day uses 10,000 words. And words are powerful. Words leave an effect. Words can either build up or words can tear down. What are the effects of my 10,000 words? And maybe, maybe some don't speak 10,000 words, but that perhaps isn't doesn't solve every problem either. Silence and a lack of words is not always good either, but uh, we know that in a multitude of words or too many words can be, can be problematic. We know that nonverbal communication is our tones, facial expressions, gestures, and so on. 
and they leave a great effect as well. I can say thank you in two different ways. Same word, and it means two total different things. You know that. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Two different things, right? It means two different things. It means I'm glad for this, or it means how, how do you dare? Thanks a lot. Or thanks a lot. You know that. Last one maybe I'll leave with us is communication is learn. Pay attention to what works and what doesn't work in your, in your home. And learn from it. Be a student to that. Well, that sure didn't work. That got me in hot water. I won't, I'll try not to do that again for sure. And so you figure out what works. And you take a different approach in communicating with your wife. End goal is that we might maximize our effectiveness as parents. Surely if children are an inheritance from the Lord, these little ones on your lap, straight from God. By the way, Abby is holding her little boy this morning. I'll just blurt that out now. For those of you that know Abby and Josh, straight from the Lord. Surely, if we, if we endeavor to get this right, our house will stand. Surely. Surely, if we aren't competing, but we're endeavoring to complement each other, and we're endeavoring to lay a good foundation for our home. And like I said, much more should be said probably on the area of communication than what I said, but suffice that for now, I guess. And I hope that you continue to pray for these messages and you continue to come to me as you did with, with, for some of these messages and, and ask questions and give thoughts. And maybe together we can uh, uh, learn and, and, uh, and grow by these messages. So God bless his word. Thank you for your attention.